Welcome to Cryptic, the Carter Research Practice of Teaching Collaborative. My name is Federica Goffi. I'm the co-chair of the PhD program at the Azraeli School of Architecture and Urbanism at Carlton University. And today is March 5th, 2021, and we are conducting an interview about the doctoral program in History and Theory of Architecture at the Department of Architecture at ETH Zurich in Switzerland with Dr. Lawrence Stalder, Professor and Chair of Theory of Architecture. The interview is conducted by myself and two PhD students, Marco Ianni and Rima Watt. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for being here and the interest. So Rima is the first question. Hello, uh, my name is Reem and I would like to start by asking you, how do you describe the impact of technology on architectural education from the 19th century to today? Uh, I've been thinking about that and I'm um, was thinking if it's a specialization uh, or, or, or not. And I guess what interested us uh, is to include uh, in our architectural education a part um, which at least in architectural historiography in the classic or in classical art, art history has been for a long time uh, just neglected or put away or purely aestheticized. And um, when we began our teaching in 2006, I guess, um, and we had a very simple program uh, for, uh, for teaching in architectural theory, uh, which was to reflect, and this is not, um, it's, it's not a joke, that <laughs> was in my application, to reflect on the elements of architecture because I thought through them that it would be possible perhaps um, to acknowledge a building practice which was nearer um, uh, to the everyday architecture than what was taught. And it's, it was much more through this approach that suddenly the question of technology became so crucial uh, in our understanding. And, we began with this very simple element uh, of the threshold, which we declined through different um, topics, seminars, which were um, the door, the window, um, the floor, um, the facade. And just by choosing the elements, uh, we discovered how much technology actually was in a contemporary practice and that's how somehow my field switched slowly perhaps more to this direction than to classical art history uh, and that's why uh, the 19th century which was before already a key um, research topic but be became very key for for for, for our um, uh, uh, research so it was through a very pragmatic approach to, to architecture, history, and theories that we came to this um, focus, I would say. And um, I think uh, several of your questions are, are related also to the specificity of our school. And um, I was trained at ETH, and I did come back and, and forth again. And uh, I think what, what was at least when I was studying a uh, very key was the, 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 the dimension of technology and construction and perhaps an interest more for the material dimension of architecture less I would say um, um, thorough knowledge into the question of social uh, sciences and that's somehow out of certain education with a certain proposal I came to this um, uh, form of teaching, which somehow is very classical, as the term itself, architecture, uh, has the notion of technology uh, in its core um, definition. Thank you very much. So yesterday we had the opportunity to meet your colleague, Dr. Philip Orsprung, and we started learning about your PhD program at ETH. And we wanted to ask you if you could share uh, your memories about the history of the program, how it was established, you know, with, with which I guess uh, intentions 
And if you could tell us as well about your role in the board of directors of the PhD program in history and theory. Yes, so there was a very loose uh, structure for a long time um, uh, by which a student was linked uh, to a professor. And there was a first attempt by my colleague, Vittorio uh, um, uh, Maniago Lampugnani, who established a doctoral school for three years, I think, between, I don't know when exactly, two, 2002, 2005, or, um, in which there were several uh, graduates. And then it was a one funded initiative which disappeared. And when I arrived at ETH 2006, I decided to put my PhD students with Zeus of Akos Mohavansky, so which allowed us to have a, a, a bigger mass of, of students and also to distribute somehow the responsibility, but also to let the students uh, take advantage of the. Um, of the shared or on the different different approaches and, and capacities and, and knowledges of the different persons. In 2011, I was tenured. Um, and then something very strange happened uh, during at ETH. Um, the professor appointed not by the faculty, but the president of the school. And we are a technical school. So um it's a school which is very well funded and uh, during the the meetings i explained him my projects and i explained him, him also what i thought was a weak point uh, of the of our school and especially of our program which was a doctoral school and just i asked him uh, if i could have two positions dedicated to um to doctoral education and he then said, okay, I give you two or one, but I, I don't, I don't remember, one or two, but I give it also to all your colleagues. So suddenly we were, we were four professors and we had five or six uh, positions which were given uh, by the president of the school. And um, so I came somehow with the money and Philip had prepared, I don't know where and when, uh, uh, already an outline of the program. So this fitting of an outline and of, um, let's say, the, the, um, the money which was necessary uh, allowed us extremely quickly to develop this program. And at the time, the dean decided to give to the Institute of Technology uh, a similar amount of money so that we could begin actually with two uh, new programs in 2012 and with Philip uh, we had quite a similar understanding of what um, the PhD program should be that the students should come with their own topic so we wouldn't imp impose a topic but somehow we would take advantage of the the intelligence of the people who are applying to the program. I think this was the, the first um, aspect. And the second aspect which uh, I brought in was the belief that uh, there should be a certain structure in how we uh, conduct this PhD program, that there should be at the beginning uh, a year of fundamentals, uh, an introduction into methodologies, and to, to, to say it in a very a stupid way somehow that the students learn how to write and uh, the architecture students learn how to write and the artists students learn what a plan is and, <laughs> and or the, the, the students of history uh, learn uh, what architecture is and so the, we decided quite uh, quickly that there should be a formative year um, and after that that each of us should teach one semester introducing his own approaches and own interests uh, by the students. And as the, the, the program is quite short, three uh, years, which are completely funded, uh, uh, another aspect which I would have liked to bring in uh, is this, the minor and the major as, as it is uh, in most American programs that you are not only 
that you don't only prepare your PhD um, plan and specialize in your topic, but somehow that you're also forced to engage with other temporalities or, or other uh, geographies uh, that we could um, bring in, unfortunately. And this is still something which I, I miss because I think one of the big problems of, of today's uh, education architectural history is the incredible specialization uh, of our students. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was wondering if you could, I guess, um, give us your uh, perspective in terms of um, how, I guess, what's unique about the way that you uh, are working in the PhD program with your students in relations, I guess, in the context of PhD programs in Switzerland, but also perhaps Europe and, and the world. Uh, so in Switzerland, there are not so many PhD programs and um, there is one in Lausanne, but in Lausanne, it's a, so in the other uh, ETH, there are two ETHs, one in Zurich and one in uh, Lausanne, which are quite independent. And in Lausanne, it's a faculty-wide uh, program. And I would say uh, we have a, in, in, in officially it's also a faculty-wide program, but I would say the Institute have a very important role uh, to play in, in our case. And, and that we were able somehow to gather all our energies around this program history and, and theory. What I think is perhaps also unique in, in Europe uh, is that um, it's not externally funded which means that uh, there is no topic which is imposed, as I said. Um, so it's not a program which deals with the urbanization or a program which deals only with technology, a program which deals only with art history. So it's a program, as I said, which is, fun, uh, which is filled by the intelligence of the students. Um, what is different from the American, I, say, I, I think the American, the American program is much longer. Uh, I think the American program uh, has a much more deeper um, interest in transdisciplinarity. Um, uh, it's longer, uh, but I think what makes it unique is our interest and focus on architecture. So I think it, it, it really grows out of architecture which is placed then in a broader political, technical, social uh, context. And it's not so much architecture, which is part somehow of a social question, a historical question, as it is, for instance, um, at Columbia at, at Princeton. Thank you. So um, we wanted to ask as well, uh, I guess your reflections, you know, considering the short history of uh, PhD programs that are within architecture schools, you know, um, I guess your reflections are, uh, on the broad diversity of programs that are currently offered worldwide. So we have PhD programs in history and theory, but also criticism, PhD programs by practice or creative <laughs> practice and, and by design. Yes, I, I think I have a very conservative um, uh, perspective on that. Um, I think there, that not every um, knowledge or competence has to be a knowledge by a PhD. I think I prefer an, arch uh, an architect who has proven uh, that he's a good architect by practice and somehow who understands also designing and building as a form of knowledge production. Um, and I don't think uh, that a PhD in practice somehow does this. Um, and by establishing these different PhD programs, let's say uh, the, the creative thinking or the critical architecture and architecture, uh, PhD program in architectural criticism or an arch, uh, architectural program, doctoral program in, um, in preservation somehow we are dividing uh, even more uh, the discipline. Um, and that's somehow also what is uh, very much challenging, but it's also very much refreshing in our program somehow that we have this person from extremely different horizons who are 
who come together, who share the knowledge together, and I think who can also take an advantage uh, from uh, each uh, other. So in other words, I don't believe the idea um, to um, ask a practitioner to have a PhD to be able to teach. And that's a very uh, Swiss tradition also where the profession is not protected. So we have several teachers who didn't uh, graduate but who are professors um, at our school. And uh, the best name is um, uh, Peter Merkley, uh, who has, I would say, world fame, but who never, or Peter Zumto, who never did, uh, oh, he did that Pratt diploma, but he didn't, he has no university degree. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I guess the next question is about research mediums. So we are interested to know which are the research mediums that are uh, explored by doctoral students in history and theory uh, of architecture in your program. And if you were to locate their contribution to knowledge, uh, would it be in the writings or also in other media such as drawings and exhibitions? Uh, mostly it's in writing, um, but there are uh, several students who do also surveys. Uh, where uh, the documents are not uh, there. Um, there are students who have shown their work also uh, in exhibitions. Uh, there are students who had, there, we have now one student who works a lot with uh, photography. Um, so there are several mediums, but I still think somehow that the word is perhaps uh, one useful way of expressing in architectural history, um, to transmit knowledge in architectural history. Even if I still think uh, that, uh, of course, uh, the different forms, be it uh, movie, be it uh, photography, be it um, survey um, drawings are extremely relevant uh, to our field. So it depends really on the subject. We are, we are now uh, launching a new we got from the Swiss National Foundation uh, several grants for, for um, a PhD on, on the relation between landscape and technology. And there we will have to do surveys, uh, for instance. But I think the survey will be one step um, to gather information which have then to be transposed and translated uh, into a writing. Uh, I wouldn't see a PhD which is purely a photographic essay. Um, this I wouldn't. Um, I think it's a good way. Thank, thank you for clarifying that, yes. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about the curriculum structure in your program, and if you could give us some examples of uh, perhaps research approaches that are followed by your students. My students, as a student, which I followed very closely, I mostly worked uh, with archives. I had one student who worked on the Institute of Architecture and Urban Studies in New York, who worked heavily on the archives of um, the CCA, but who conducted parallel to that uh, about, I think, 100 interviews with living protagonists uh, of the Institute. Um, another uh, student I have who worked on concrete, and this is interesting because she had somehow to combine different archives. On the one side, she completely reread um, the bequest which we have in our archive because they're organized by architect. But if you work on concrete, somehow suddenly you have to make a horizontal section throughout the archive. But then she had to combine it um, with municipal archive, with archival companies and archives of uh, research stations. So I would rather say that in this way we have a quite a still a, a, quite a traditional uh, way of uh, of approaching it, uh, but uh, which what seems key and what seems to 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 be present with all the students is their um, is the normality with which they uh, go into archives and dig into primal uh, into sources. I think it distinguishes them also from other programs. Um, to follow up on that question about research methods and approaches, 
Uh, I was wondering how does the history and theory of architecture PhD differ from the architecture and, and technology and the landscape architecture and urban studies in terms of research uh, methods? Um, so the, 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 the PhD in technology is, is, is very much linked to the development of new methods and new technologies. So um, in, in the field of architecture, so they, they develop robots, they develop new uh, concrete um, forms of concrete, new, they, they invest um, new technical uh, installations uh, and so on. So it's, it's very much linked to te technical problems and solutions to these technical problems. The program in landscape, uh, architecture actually has been mostly investigating um, question of urbanization uh, from a sociological point of view as it has been heavily uh, conducted by my colleague in uh, sociology Christian Schmid. And from this point of view I think uh, our interest in history uh, and going beyond um, the 20th century actually makes it perhaps uh, unique and I think we are perhaps also zoos who have who investigate the field of architecture also from a critical point of view. Good morning, Dr. Stalzer. Um, what do you what do you think the role of the PhD advisor um, and committee is with the student? Like, what, what's that relationship look like to you? Um, actually, it changes throughout um, throughout um, the years. Um, so in the first year, it's a it's a quite a loose one, uh, in which uh, officially we are at two big meetings uh, at the end of the semesters where we have crits, and in which the students present for the first time their work, and informally we meet them. But we decided that the first year they shouldn't have a attributed advisor, and only after meeting us and being more um, clear about the research interest uh, and perhaps also in the way in which we follow uh, the, the PhD students that they should choose. So they choose in July, August of their first year, which begins in September. So it's after nine or 10 months, just after submitting their uh, proposal. And then it's it's very different. Um, so certain with certain students, we from the beginning decide that there should be a co-advisor uh, because perhaps the field is one in which uh, we are not uh, uh, very knowledgeable uh, and in which uh, access to certain documents are necessary and where we need somehow somebody who who does that. Uh, and with others, it's a very much one-to-one, -one, um, very much one-to-one -one, um, exchange, which can be um, very frequent, and by others, it's very seldom. So, for instance, through the PhD, the introduction of the PhD programs, there were also big changes because before the PhD program and before the funding of positions, uh, the, the, the PhD students were attached to what we call a chair. Um, uh, or professorship to be more clear because uh, as we are in a technical school we don't have only one professor but the, a staff of four to five persons who work with us and teach uh, with us so before we had the PhD program they were very much attached to the chair so we were their PhD advisor but we were also their employee which was could become a problematic uh, uh, thing. With the PhD programs, it's changed. So um, I have only postdocs uh, now, or the mostly postdocs as collaborators, um, and the PhD are in the PhD program. And so before this change, with certain, I had a day-to-day -day exchange because they were, we were sitting in the same office. And I saw this also a very fruitful uh, where we had also seminars which we conducted together, so it allowed us also to to investigate together uh, certain uh, 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 topics. Now the relation is much more formalized, I would say, or much more distant, I would say, um, through appointments, and these uh, can be very um, 
frequent or can be very seldom. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, I decided to to have a monthly meeting with my master student and doctoral students. So we have every month uh, one hour and a half a meeting where they present uh, the topics in, in which somehow I would also like the master students to take advantage of the research that is conducted at the PhD level. And besides this, as I said, we have after the first year, uh, we have uh, these seminars, which are conducted um, by four professors, in um, which alternate. So every semester, one professor uh, has the whole cohort. And this is also a moment where there are encounters with the PhD candidates of other professors. In the critiques, uh, we invite also always external guests. So um, somehow where they are exposed to, to even another um, forum. And twice a year, we have the so-called gate uh, doctor workshop where we have an international call where students from all over the world can apply for a two-day doctoral um, seminar in Zurich. So this is also a moment where the sharing is not an, not only between the students at Gitya, but it's a confrontation between the students and what is happening in the world. Amazing, thank you. Um, now we'd like to go into questions that are more focused on your research and questions on representation. Um, so in your research, you focus on the intersection of history and theory of architecture and the history of technology within the 19th and 20th century. And if you can speak to us about uh, why you decided to focus on this period. Yeah, as I said uh, in, 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 your, in, in, your, in your question uh, before, is some, something I've, I stepped in uh, through my research interests. Um, and it's expanding all the time or, or, or changing also uh, all the time. And, um, uh, recently, we have been now working a lot also on the uses and, and question of representation. So it's not only anymore architecture and technology, but it had a lot to do also uh, with other medias. Uh, we introduced movie, we introduced again much more art history in our uh, research and teaching um, to not only focus on the production side, but also very much on the users um, uh, side. Um, we just developed a complete new uh, lecture course, which we call Things of Modernity, in which we explicitly try to show how certain object, devices, spaces, or uh, infrastructure uh, completely changed the architectural production, but also changed the way uh, buildings were used uh, and how the body is engaged um, in in these buildings. Um, when you talk about the different mediums of research, uh, I was wondering if you can talk about the role of architecture drawings in architecture research, and more specifically, what is the role of drawings in architecture history and theory PhD program at ETH Zurich? This is a really good question. I, I would say uh, it has been completely neglected. Um, there was, um, or there is, a very old tradition of so-called so Bauforschung, a building research, uh, which was established in Germany, uh, especially at the cross, crossing point with archaeology, which was very powerful, uh, very long. And even at ETH, um, the students in the 70s would do a series of, of surveys. And this completely disappeared. I think this is also due to a time where the history and theory of architecture was very much text-based. Um, and um, I think Momoyo Kaijima, in my case, uh, played a key, Momoyo um, Kaijima from Atelibawa played a key role. Um, as on the one side, she, brought in an, an old interest I had because I, I, I had, I have also a, 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 an education in, in 
in archaeology, or I did one year uh, of archaeology in Egypt where I used this very old uh, technique of, of, of drawing uh, as a way of, of, of researching. And now, with the Biennale, somehow the importance of the drawing became extremely clear. It was also a discovery to see how much is done uh, today uh, with uh, drawing. And we, we reintroduced it in the first year uh, of the bachelor studies, uh, where um, we conduct the course in the methodology of architectural research, and in which all four colleagues from the GTA have a role to play, and in which we have been surveying uh, Zurich in section. So we uh, we did with the students of the first year a section of three kilometers in the scale one two hundred, uh, in which we showed all the traces. Uh, of human interaction. So it goes from the ways people live in buildings up to the gardens and the landscape to um, infrastructure, to railway tunnels. So the section really digs into the different layers uh, of the city which have been touched uh, by humans. Uh, and the students have there on the one way to describe an artifact through the drawing. And on the other, uh, by text, they have to write, uh, or reports they have to write on them. So we combine both because we're convinced somehow uh, that, um, that certain information can be best uh, presented in drawing and that others have to be um, uh, written down. We, we didn't think it would be possible, but uh, not only the, 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 um, the owners were very generous, so we could enter <laughs> the flats of the rich Zurich people. So we began with the, with the, with the south facing slope of Zurich, and so we could enter 90% uh, of the apartments. Uh, so this is amazing. And the second thing which is amazing is how students very rapidly were able somehow to to do that in the first year and so with 300 students you every student has a building or a, or just a flat or just a garden uh, to 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 um to survey hmm. thank you uh on the note of like the role of drawing and yes. a, a drawing is not a plan you yes. talk about the absence or distance uh, of the architect from the construction site, yes. uh, from the execution of their uh, design or work. So drawings yes. are the architect's mean to communicate their designs and ideas. So the question yes. is, should architectural drawings and technologies help to bridge that gap between the architect and the construction site and how? Yes, this is always a problem, uh, and it has always been a problem, and has been resolved in very different ways. In, in the medieval times, uh, there was a, uh, there were no drawings, but there were a very strong and well-educated uh, persons uh, which learn from each other. So it was much more a kind of tacit knowledge, um, which has been the challenge in the Renaissance. And of course, uh, somehow to, to overcome this gap has been a, a long uh, wish of digital technologies. I think uh, the response is rather in the other direction, uh, that digital te technologies even uh, gave or brought in a further step, uh, because somehow um, there is now a specialist who has to run and understand the computer. So, Usually, um, by hope gap, I think uh, the kind of specialization uh, has uh, even uh, increased. I don't know if it's bad or not bad. Um, I think it's just a condition under which architecture has to work. Um, do you think that the science of architecture, as depicted by the plan, yes. is primarily a social science in the sense that it uh, identifies human interaction uh, within a given setting? 
I had an interesting question, actually, and um, especially the person you're referring to, uh, uh, Robert Carr, uh, who wrote this wonderful book, um, um, The Gentleman's House, uh, points to two, to, oh no, not him, actually his successor, uh, uh, Herman Mutesius, who builds very much his argumentation on that, points to two scientific uh, dimensions in architecture. So one is the plan, uh, which indeed is a kind of script or diagram uh, of um, the owner or the person uh, that will uh, live in this building. And the other side, he speaks about hygiene and toilets. So for him, there are two uh, scientific aspects. The one which is given by the social sciences and the other by the um, technical uh, sciences or, or um, natural sciences. The, what science is in architecture um, has been always challenged, actually. Perhaps science is also the wrong word. It's much more a, a wish somehow to establish a systematic approach uh, of, of architecture. Raskin, that it completely, for Raskin, it's not the plan, but it's the very close relation between a character of a space, character of person, and the building. And uh, for Christopher Alexander, again, it's something, something else. So this notion of science uh, depends very much on what the axioms are. As architecture has no axiom, so every architect or every time somehow establish new axiom out of which they uh, then um, develop this, um, what they pretend to be a science. That's a good, seg good segue into the next question. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> yeah, so architecture is also a technological endeavor, a philosophical endeavor, etc. So what are your thoughts on the academic multidisciplinary quality of architecture as such? Is there are different ways of dealing with interdisciplinarity. Um, um, the way how now it's uh, very much propelled is from above somehow, say, you have to be interdisciplinary, which means you have to to work, let's say, with a social scientist. You have to work uh, to to have a new research program with a computer scientist, uh, and so on. So this is uh, how it's um, today dealt with. Another way would, uh, as you proposed, is, is would would be to see to say that every discipline has an interdisciplinary dimension. And this is even more true, perhaps, uh, for, for architecture, but also for, for mathematics. Um, if you think mathematics uh, radically through, it's very much about philosophy. It's a way of organizing uh, our world, of mapping our world. So uh, I would say my approach has been in, into this field uh, very much from uh, uh, within. Um, unless uh, from uh, without. But I think the two aspects are very present. The next question is, uh, the, the history of the plan takes on a historicist point of view, but also a historical method based on quantifying and outlining any typology depending on, on use. How did the architectural treatises shape the way the plan has been used in texts such as The Gentleman's House? This is a very interesting question, actually. Um, is that um, I, in this text, I try to show that the notion of environment has been very key already in the 19th century. But what is interesting, actually, is that they never speak about the environment. Um, and that this question are implicitly dealt with from the 18th century uh, on uh, in the way plants are organized from Robert Adam to, to Robert Kerr and up to, to Herman Mutesius and then to, to, to the modernist of the, of, the, of the 20th century. So it's, it's very interesting somehow that architecture uh, can be understood as a form of knowledge in the same way as the treatise uh, would be. What makes Kerr book, I think, so, so crucial somehow that he's able quite early on to systematize and understand at least the conditions that makes uh, an environment. And he outlines them very precisely. 
by these crimes at different conditions a house has uh, to obey to. Uh, but he never sees somehow the big picture as we would see today and saying this is the beginning somehow of um, an environmental debate in, in architecture. And this is perhaps also the role of, of architectural historians somehow to, to trace this genealogy. Um, so the next question is, uh, through your research on the intersection between history of technology and architecture, how do you describe the influence of technology on architecture beyond the built spaces and the role of technology in reshaping the way we think of architecture today? How did the history of technology influence architecture through the design process uh, from conceptual design, the role, the tools of drawing and representation to the built space? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, um, I, would, uh, I would say technology has, has, has been a motor um, uh, of architectural development in the 19th and, and 20th century. Um, and different levels from the level of urban planning with the new infrastructure which are implemented to the level of um, new spaces like kitchens and um, toilets and uh, bathrooms uh, up to um, uh, construction materials uh, like the concrete um, frame or the steel frame uh, up to 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 facade so it's it's i would say it's uh it's an issue or which has been overwhelming uh, i would say uh, the field and probably the problem is less that uh, this technology has been introduced but that it has been completely neglected or often neglected um there are a few exceptions the incredibly beautiful book of um, Siegfried Gideon already in the 50s or even Rainer Banham's The Well-Tempered Environment. Uh, but somehow it has been, at least in the 80s and 90s, completely neglected uh, from the architectural discourse. And I think one of the problems also is that um, technology is from the technological side, but also perhaps from the historical side, uh, treated as something very um, causal, how you say it, uh, deterministic, that uh, if you invent a new material, you have new form. If you invent a new design tool, you have a new shape. Uh, and if you look into more, more, more closely into the history of technology, you see somehow that it's extremely socially um, dependent uh, and that this, the, the, the technical change the motor for this technical change are probably social so are linked to question of efficiency they are linked to question of comfort they are linked to question uh, also to political question of, of uh, access uh, and so i would say the conditions of technology are social that's the, third, the first thing which i would say and the second aspect is that the implementation of this technology is very very different from space to from place to space, um, this is, part, for instance, a very true. Um, if you look, uh, for instance, there was this wonderful quote by Shishek on toilets, where he describes how the German toilet is completely has a completely other shape uh, than the French toilet or the English toilet. I saw that lecture too. I saw that. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, because yeah. so, the Germans smell it. Yes, exactly. So, so somehow, uh, the way we engage with these technologies are completely uh, different. And in a very nice way is also in the elevator. Um, is it a space, or is it, or is it a device? You take off your hat because you are inside a private space or not because you are in a um, in a public space so these are, are so the way the behavior are negotiated but also the way the, the elements are implemented are completely different the the the, the um, in in france the elevator it has a hydraulic system uh, 
uh, or had long had hydraulic system because of the distrust uh, of the Europeans of the, of the rope. As um, in Europe, it's very much linked to mining and to the accidents in mining, while in America, uh, at least since Otis, as a rope is just the conventional part of an elevator. So first of all, technology is something which is social first before it's technological. Or, and that's the first aspect. And secondly, the way we handle this technology is very different from space, uh, place to place. And, and there is a lot of imaginaries linked to it also, you know, and, and uh, there is there are completely di different evocations uh, which are linked uh, to to these uh, devices, and this is the wonderful thing. Uh, so my following question um, kind of relates to devices, but looking more on drawings. And <laughs> at the end of uh, a drawing is not a plan. You state, and I quote, a drawing is neither at the beginning nor at the end of a process, but always in between, end of quote. In reading the sentence, I reflected on your work on threshold devices from your article, uh, turning architecture inside out, revolving doors and other threshold devices, and your research on windology. As you stated, and I quote, threshold devices not only permit transition, but also establish narratives of exclusion and inclusion. They control the comfort, cleanliness, or privacy, which come inscribed in the daily practice and in turn also influence the, their use." End of quote. So would you say that architecture drawings are threshold devices? Are they more than a, transit, a translation of the architect's design and intention uh, in what, what they include or exclude? And do they uh, define and control our perception of what is being presented? Um, while reading this question, uh, I thought it's a quite a clever question, but I don't know how to answer it. Um, because somehow uh, you did what, uh, what an architectural historian or uh, uh, should do is somehow to bring two things which are separated together. And out of this, this and by bridging this gap somehow, uh, construct a new, uh, a new interpretation, and I was a little bit annoyed by it because it's quite a difficult question. But I think what is similar to them is um, an understanding less, or not only, for the object in its completeness, but. Uh, much more in, in, in its becoming. The becoming of a building in which different steps have to be done from, of translations from the sketch into the plan, from the planning to a drawing, from the technical drawing to pipes, and then the construction side, uh, the, uh, perhaps then from there again into a new, uh, building uh, etc and and the similar uh, uh with the threshold device somehow instead of looking let's say on the building and its facade or looking at the revolving door and its mechanism we looked uh, on the relations uh, between these different um, different objects as they are experienced very much uh, from the users and this allowed us to have <coughs> a more complex, I think, understanding of them uh, and to analyze them in these two states. And I think a key, uh, uh, when, when you were asking again the question, I, I thought about a wonderful um, remark uh, the, the, the French uh, philosopher of technology, uh, Gilbert Simondon, did while describing. Um, how art history has worked for, for many years, saying art history is interested in the objects which comes out of the atelier of the sculptor. So they describe somehow how beautiful uh, Venus is and how Venus is related to other Venus, uh, etc. throughout history. Uh, but what is a, a key to understand uh, uh, the statue is also the stone where it was taken, 
how it's cut, how the sculpture decides how he will cut the stone, because if he decides a wrong way, uh, the stone will, will not, he will not be able to, to, to find the shapes he, he wants to, uh, to do. Uh, if he doesn't have the right machines, he won't be able somehow to lift it. Uh, if he has not the right light, he, was, he will not be able uh, to, to, to work. And so um, this shifting somehow saying, yes, the object is key because this is probably is that what we grasp, what perhaps also uh, gives us the an aesthetic emotion, but to understand this somehow as historians and perhaps also as architects, we have to understand the becoming of the, of, of the object, be it the art object or the, the, uh, or the architectural object. Uh, in the case of uh, Simonon, who speaks even about this psychological becoming of humans. So shifting somehow our gaze from the object to the, the moment of becoming. Um, and to be able to connect these two, the architectural object and its becoming and its use eventually, is I think uh, something we have been very much interested uh, in. So we we are not we do not want somehow to to come back to an architecture without architects, but we, we are very much interested in the different uh, actors who are participating uh, into the becoming of an architectural object, the architect included. Thank you very much for all these insights. Yes. Um, you know about your research. We wanted to. I guess conclude with a questions circling back to the PhD program, mm -hmm. and um, you know in, a, in our own program, I guess PhD students are asked to work through different uh, media. So in addition to writing, they are also um, asked to produce either a speculative project or what we also call an epistemic object, and so promoting I guess a, a diversity of media. And I was wondering, in your opinion, what could be uh, promising research mediums in architectural research? I st still think that the survey, uh, I don't know if you do survey with your students, but I, I think the survey is an incredible, uh, powerful uh, instrument as, as it forces uh, students to investigate properly uh, physical objects, a, a precise a place, but also to, to go through the whole process of uh, abstraction, uh, which is linked uh, to the survey. Because if you, let's say, if you cut through a house, um, either you, you, you reconstruct the whole house in your drawings and you will never finish, or somehow you have a precise research question. And this allows you to efficiently and well uh, draw and also communicate uh, what you're interested in or what is perhaps also uh, relevant. So I think uh, the architectural drawing is still a very, very powerful um, way of um, uh, doing that. Um, we discovered the importance of um, uh, film, photography, and also um, literature for architectural thinking. Uh, this was ex extremely key uh, in our research on uh, what I call the, the things of modernity is a new course we constructed in which uh, in each course we present one of this um, thing. Um, and for instance, um, while investigating the, the, um, the doorbell, suddenly you discover that in Thomas Mann's novel, uh, at a certain point, the, the, the electric bell plays a, a key role because the family, it's, a, it's the history of uh, the Budenbrocks, the history of a bourgeois family uh, who through from generation to generation loses its money at a certain point they have to, to, to sell their house. And the new owners, the first thing they do is to replace the bell by electric bell. 
which shows also the complete social transformation which happens around 1900 uh, in Europe and Germany especially. So our um, while investigating the revolving door, um, movies are key. Um, Berlin a Symphony of a City is an incredible uh, movie in, in which 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 investigates the movement in the modern city in 1927, and suddenly you are able somehow to relate this device to a much more broader uh, field which goes from train to cars to buses uh, and to mass consumption consumptions uh, in Berlin around the 1930s. Um, so um, this is very useful um, as, um, as a way of investigating. Now, I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, yes, indeed. Rightly. Uh, but I, I think these are always, I, I, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm quite conservative uh, in that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think these different medias, so the survey, the film analysis, analysis, the, the analysis of literature, uh, of painting, of photography, uh, are all means somehow to reinforce your architectural analysis. And that's what I'm interested in personally. Thank you very much. And indeed, uh, you know, our students are interested in those media as well. You know, mm -hmm. even Marco and, and Rim in particular, I think they have a lot of experience with surveys. It's mm -hmm. one of the, uh, you know, our Carlton um, Immersive Media Studies, uh, I guess, research center, which is led by the chair of our PhD program, Dr. Steve Pai. Uh, mm -hmm. They do a lot of that kind of work. And then, so the students have quite a bit of training in that. Uh, many Reem, of them Reem work, definitely work. does. Yeah. Yeah, not me. Yeah. Oh, yes. fantastic. fantastic. Mm -hmm. No, and I think there are certain artifacts which are not, which you, you cannot encounter uh, because they are not in archives, they are not uh, in newspapers. Uh, and there it's key to, or there are also relations which are not, which you know can, which you can only build um, uh, by service. So between a building and a railway, for instance, perhaps you have plans from the railway station and you have plans of the building, but somehow the relation between the two is completely missing. And I think there uh, it's extremely key. Uh, interviews, uh, I think are, are quite uh, crucial too, for certain, uh, as, especially as I said, the Kim Ferrer did, his PhD in institutional history and through the interviews, uh, he could really grasp uh, and develop his, his uh, research. Thank you very much. You're so we really, yeah, we really appreciate the opportunity to learn both about the program and also your research. And uh, yes. I guess getting this insight for our students and I really hope that we'll have a chance in the future to cross paths again yes, yes, I hope. at our school. No, I hope so too. Yes, uh, uh, this would be really nice. And also it would be nice to learn a little bit more about your program. Actually, I've been speaking now so long and uh, I think we have some strengths, we have, we have, but we have also some weaknesses. And uh, especially I think your, 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 um, um, what you hinted at as uh, this introduction, different medias is something which is, uh, it's, it seems uh, key for, for students. Thank you very much. Uh, maybe we'll invite you for some of our activities in the program. You know, yes. our students are uh, organizing their first uh, international symposium. Oh, very soon. Yeah, very soon we'll have, um, we've, wor we've worked on this for uh, the past year and we postponed it uh, due to the pandemic, hoping to be in person in September, but I guess we, you know, we're probably going to be online oh, still, still, even though, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're hoping maybe a hybrid, but it doesn't look, we're not quite there yet. But uh, I'll cer certainly send you, you know, maybe the link in case you want to see, you know, through the book of abstract and maybe your students might want to link with us yes, in some yes, way. Yes, no, it would be interesting, please. Yes, uh, I guess uh, we have several students who probably would be very interested. Uh, yeah, thank you very uh, much. A fantastic thing, yes. And hope.
hopefully we meet in person sometimes yes indeed yeah, yeah. okay bye 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 thank you so much bye bye bye, bye. bye now